Welcome to On The Way, a podcast to help you make a meaningful connection with Jesus every day in the midst of your day-to-day. On today's episode, we're bringing back Steve Tamayo, executive pastor from Chatham Community Church, to share some brief thoughts on the following question. How can a smart person believe in the resurrection? Hope you enjoy. Let me start by doing the thing that smart people always seem to do when presented with a question like this. What do you mean by smart? How could a smart person believe in the resurrection? What do you mean by smart? Smart could mean a lot of different things. Smart could mean educated. Smart could mean scientific. Smart could mean philosophically sophisticated. What do you mean by smart? Start with educated. How could an educated person believe in the resurrection? Well, an education, at least an ideal education, according to my perspective, is not just something that teaches you facts and figures, that teaches you grammar. Education needs to teach you logic, rhetoric. It needs to teach you how to put the things that you know into practice, how to put the pieces together. A truly educated person is someone who has learned to ask questions, to explore, to research Education isn't just about passing doctrine down. Education is about teaching you how to think. So how could someone who knows how to think believe in the resurrection? I would say they must have thought about it. Take another definition of the word smart. How could a smart person believe in the resurrection? Well, maybe by smart you mean someone who has been trained to think scientifically. The scientific method is one of the most powerful, critical thinking methods that exist in human history. It's something that has developed over time, has been sharpened and honed to a razor's edge, an Occam's razor's edge. And for some of us, we think the resurrection is something that denies the scientific method. And in a way, it looks like it does because it's a one-off event that is not historically repeatable. We didn't capture it in a lab. We didn't record it according to any instrumentation. There were no video cameras present during the resurrection. There were no meters. There were no electrometers. I do have a friend who's thinking about some research that could look back at that moment of the resurrection and determine if there is any uh, evidence in the uh, photons. Uh, But I I don't want to go too far because I don't want him to say, hey, man, you talked about my research on your podcast and it's not ready for publication yet. You're going to spoil my ability to get grants. But let's be honest. The scientific method applies wonderfully when it's applied to science and is complicated when applied to history. History is uh, one way of viewing it is a story of past events. Past events are by nature unrepeatable. And just because you can't repeat it in a lab, just because you can't measure it, doesn't mean it never happened. Uh, The example people always use of this is a story about Washington crossing the Delaware. Yes, it happened. Sure, it happened. But it didn't happen over and over and over again. It's not something that you could recreate today to see exactly how it went down. It's a historical event. The resurrection as presented in the Gospels is a historical event. It's something that happened. Jesus died, he was crucified, he was buried, and he rose again. It happened on a specific day, a specific time, and a specific place. It's what C.S. Lewis calls the scandal of particularity, that God became 
human in a particular place amongst a particular people at a particular time. And because of that, the Christian narrative is wrapped up in history. It's not passed down to us as a series of propositions and doctrines to believe. It is handed down to us as a historical story because it's something that actually happened in history. How could a smart person believe in the resurrection? It requires understanding that they're thinking about history. Well, maybe by smart, we don't mean educated. Maybe by smart, we don't mean scientific. Maybe by smart, we mean philosophically sophisticated. Maybe over the years, you have run into this idea that the resurrection is a miracle. And because the resurrection is a miracle, it is unlikely to have ever happened, so unlikely to be considered radically improbable, rendering it impossible. This was Hume's argument. If you've ever encountered Hume, the philosopher, uh, this is essentially what he said, not just about the resurrection, but about all of the miracles in the Bible. In every certain uh, story of a miracle, it is more probable, according to Hume, it is more probable that the narrators were mistaken or lying than that the miracle actually happened. It is more probable that Jesus' disciples lied about him being dead or resurrected. It is more probable that Jesus was buried and stayed buried. It is more probable that people lost track of the tomb and they made an epic blunder, the sort of thing that only happens once in history, but that they were wrong. It is more probable that the resurrection never happened because it's a miracle. David Hume's argument requires an a priori position. It requires you to say from the very beginning that miracles are improbable, that they are more improbable than anything else. This is an affront to Bayesian statistics. It's a little bit uh, ridiculous, but it's an argument that gets brought out over and over and over again. I was recently reading one of my favorite biblical studies authors, someone who wouldn't consider himself a Christian, at least not according to traditional orthodoxy, but someone who finds the Bible fascinating. And he passed out this argument from David Hume as a reason to reject the miracle narratives in the Gospels, particularly the resurrection narrative. Uh, this professor is very famous. He teaches at a local university, and he is someone that I love, love, love to read, even though I disagree with almost everything he has to say. He raises the right questions. I think that is so incredibly helpful. David Hume's argument fails on its face, though, because just because we haven't observed something happen doesn't mean that it can't happen. And it doesn't even necessarily mean that it's improbable. There are some things that sound remarkably improbable to us because we don't have an appropriate observation set. The resurrection is one of these. It is remarkably improbable to us at our position in time that anyone would raise from the dead. Incredibly improbable. We've never seen it in uh, our century. We've never seen it with our eyes. We've never measured it with our instruments. And if it happened, it, according to the Christian narrative, has only really happened once. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is radically different from the other resurrection narratives found in the Bible. 
Jesus didn't die again. He is alive again on the other side of death. And we can say, well, well, that's incredibly improbable. It, it, there have been billions of people who lived, and there's only one who's ever risen from the dead. And what the Christian narrative would say to that, to Hume's argument, uh, to, to the argument from this UNC professor, would be to say, oh, I totally understand why you could see it that way from your perspective, your limited perspective at this point in time. And yet, we Christians believe there is a time coming when all of humanity will be raised from the dead. When, when some who are raised will be raised to new life to go and live with the resurrected Jesus. Others will be raised to a more complicated situation. And here Christians disagree as to what that complicated situation will be. But we believe that the resurrection is not something that is just for one person at one particular point in time, but that it's something that is for each and every one of us. The resurrection is not an exception. The resurrection is a rule. It's a rule that has yet to be fully applied. And so really the question is, how do we decide? On what basis can we make the judgment that that rule will not be applied more broadly? Who are we to decide what's going to happen in the future, to determine what's going to happen in the future, to say that it will be impossible. Now, there's also a Bayesian argument against Hume. Bayesian statistics are pretty complicated, although I find them fascinating and a lot of fun. If you're interested, you can Google uh, David Hume Bayesian refutation or something like that, and you'll find someone who points out that the prior probability shifts around as you have more and more witnesses to a historical event. And with an event like the resurrection, where you have several hundred witnesses reflecting on it, talking about it, testifying to it, despite their motivation to maybe hide it or run away from it, people who would have known how weird it sounded, uh, it shifts your statistical probability. It opens that window. Um, There are all kinds of Bayesian arguments that are so fascinating. But it's not necessarily the most philosophically sophisticated belief to deny the resurrection. You don't have to hide from your philosophical brain in order to believe the resurrection. In fact, I think someone who is philosophically sophisticated, who understands particularly the philosophy of science, would understand that having a curious and open mind is a core part of being philosophically sophisticated. To love wisdom, to love knowledge, to seek after it, to hunger for it, to not be closed off to possibilities, but to be open to them. That's the way to live. That's the way to have a broad mind. That's the way to be smart. I actually would say, if you ask, how can a smart person believe in the resurrection? I would say that, well, It's not just about being educated, scientific, and philosophically sophisticated. It's about being willing to consider the possibility. Are you willing to consider the possibility that the Jesus who was crucified rose from the dead? There are all kinds of historical arguments and historical debates that weigh in on this. Uh, Josh McDowell has some very accessible material in More Than a Carpenter. encourage you to give it a check. But I want to let you know... You don't have to check your brain at the door if you believe in the resurrection. The resurrection is something that is logical, is reasonable, is rational, makes sense, 
and is helpful. Well, smart people love to attack questions. And so if I'm pretending to be a smart person, uh, doing my best impersonation of a smart person, and you ask the question of, of, well, how could, how, how, how could a smart person believe in the resurrection? Well, one of the questions would be to ask, have any smart people believed in the resurrection? I could tell you a story about John Lennox, who's a math professor at the University of Oxford. He was there when I was a student there. I wasn't studying mathematics, but he was in my college, and I got to meet with him a few times. He asked about how my studies were going and uh, pushed on some of my thesis ideas. But John Lennox is this brilliant mathematician whose mathematics are things that I can't even really begin to understand, but he believes in the resurrection. He makes the case time and time again in debates and arguments as a Christian academic that the resurrection is reasonable. Well, okay, you've probably never heard of John Lennox, probably never run into him before, but you could look in the Bible at someone like the Apostle Paul. Paul was someone who was known as a very smart person. At one point, he's talking Uh, about himself, and he points out that the depth of his education, he was one of the most educated people alive at his time. And at one point, he's talking about the Christian faith before Felix and Herod Agrippa. He's talking about the Christian faith, and these guys are listening to him. And they at one point say, Paul, your great learning has driven you insane. They look at Paul, and they see someone who is educated, who is thoughtful, who is smart. And they think that something must have driven him crazy. Now, some of you think that academics are crazy. You think that their great education has driven them insane. And perhaps from time to time, this is true. But sometimes what is a depth of insight looks insane to people who haven't had that same depth of insight. The Apostle Paul was a very smart person, and he had something to offer, not only to Felix and Agrippa, but to us and to the world. One of the things he's offered to us is his confidence that the resurrection is essential doctrine for the Christian faith. It's essential to Paul that we not only confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, which is the sort of thing that you could do whether you believed in the resurrection or not, but that you must believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead that this for Paul was essential. He was convinced that if Jesus had not risen from the dead, that Christians are to be pitied by the world because we have been deceived and our faith has been in vain. The resurrection for Paul was the cornerstone of his faith. Okay, well, maybe you don't think uh, John Lennox is a great example. Maybe you don't think Paul is a great example. What about Jesus? Jesus is someone who is widely known by Christians and non-Christians alike as a remarkable moral teacher. He was someone who rose from obscurity, who did not have, at least as far as we can tell, a remarkable educational background. He was not someone who, as far as we can tell, had been trained in the scientific method. And yet he taught some of the most philosophically sophisticated, inspiring, practical, helpful, world and history transforming principles that anyone has ever heard of. Did he believe in the resurrection? The best records we have indicate that he was convinced that he would be raised from the dead. 
He told his followers that no one was taking his life from him, but that he was putting it down and that he would pick it back up again. His followers argued with him, saying that he wasn't going to be killed. And he said, yes, he would be handed over and he would be executed and he would rise again. We are told in the pre-crucifixion accounts that Jesus was absolutely convinced that he would be raised from the dead. Was Jesus smart? How could a smart person believe in the resurrection? Well, they have. So it's possible. It's possible for very smart people to believe in the resurrection. There's something about this question uh, that rattles me, that, that shakes something inside me. And it's because when I read the accounts of the resurrection, I see that God did something remarkable. He didn't entrust the initial witness of the resurrection to the smart, at least not those who would be considered smart by society. The initial witnesses to the resurrection were women. There were women who came to the tomb and found it empty. There was Mary Magdalene who came to the tomb and found it empty, went and got the disciples, came back, and then saw Jesus, the first to see Jesus. My friend Natalia Cohn points out that Mary had this special relationship with Jesus, a powerful, love-filled relationship, and that out of her great love for Jesus, Mary had the privilege of being the first to see him alive. When we say that it's not possible for smart people to believe in the resurrection from the dead, we are refusing to believe the testimony of these women. On what basis do we doubt their testimony? On what basis do we deny them the ability to witness? That was what society did. Society back in the day refused to allow women to testify in court, refused to listen to them, refused to believe them, thought that they were easily misled, that they were easily deceived, that they were less intelligent than men. Are we going to say that? Is that where we want to go? Is that how we want to form our beliefs? Who are we to practice what C.S. Lewis calls chronological snobbery and to look down our noses at those who came before us? to assume that they are more easily duped than we would be, to assume that what they saw with their eyes, what they handled with their hands, what they touched, what they heard about is less reliable than what we believe on no evidence. Who are we to doubt them? How, how, how can a smart person believe in the resurrection? with humility, and with confidence. That's how. With humility, because we could always be wrong. With humility, because there may be more information coming someday. With humility, because we are able to think deeply and see clearly, and we don't have to shy away from what we see and think. And with confidence, Confidence because we're not alone in this. It's not some crazy idea we had in the bathtub. With confidence, because the resurrection, belief in the resurrection, uh, the idea of the resurrection can fill our lives with joy and purpose and, and, well, more confidence. 
We can believe it confidently because of the historical narrative. We can believe it confidently because we have asked hard questions. We can believe it confidently because we are curious and open to possibilities. And this one is a fascinating one. One of the best. How can a smart person believe in the resurrection? It's possible. If you consider yourself a smart person... Don't be closed to the possibility of the resurrection. And if there's someone in your life who you care about, who you think is a very smart person, don't shy away from talking to them about the resurrection. It is possible for them also to believe. I wish I was able to find a smart person to do this episode so that you could hear from an actual smart person. Please forgive my impersonation. And I hope, hope, hope that you ask questions read the story, and remain curious and open throughout. God bless.